you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in the Gospel of John. In John 18, we've we finished the final prayer of Jesus, his high priestly prayer there for the disciples to hear. And we're headed into the remainder of what happens. <laughs> I'm calling this all fall down. And it's not that I want people to fall. Man, I want people to stand. Do you know, do you know by any sort of look as we look at society, we're kind of failing. It doesn't feel like our moral fabric is slips further and further away. I just feel like we're in a losing battle for a moral culture, losing battle to take the principles of the Bible. You know, the moral principles, good moral principles, and get society to follow them. I mean, they're clear, right? And, and I think we're losing. I think actually we've already lost. No, I think we've already lost. So I think you've lost. Yeah. I slip into that mindset a lot. You know, I'm like, man, I want society to do better. And, you know, who's looking at the pornography? Who's getting angry at their coworker? Who's getting depressed when the message of the Bible is such great news? Why would you ever, ever be depressed? Is that okay for me to say? Yeah. I'm trying to offend you this morning. <laughs> I'm trying to start with offense because I feel like this is the deal, right? I mean, my mind, I'm an athlete guy. I know I don't look like it, but I was. So I, I think running, I think running a marathon I think, man, I just, we gotta train each other to run better. I just, I see some people running and I'm a little bit like, you guys are like running. You're not running right. You gotta run better. Now, let's get your back straight. Let's get your legs going better. Let's, let's tempo. And I say, man, and I want you to start winning. So we'll start training you to run harder and faster and we'll throw in some surges or we'll throw in some little mini kicks so you can distance yourself from the competition. You know, it's a long race, but, but if you, if you struggle, you get that pit in your stomach when you're really doing distance running. You're like, oh, but I can make it. I feel like that's a lot of Christianity and what we're telling the world. Let's give you some tips to run the race a little better. When I feel actually it should be a little bit more like like Rosa Ruiz. You guys all know Rosa Ruiz? I asked this morning, none of my young guys did, but if you're older, you might know. She was the winner of the 1980 Boston Marathon. Woo! Fantastic. She ran in like two and a half hours. It's actually really fast. Awesome. Good job. And it turns out that what she did was take the subway. She ran a couple miles, and then the subway in Boston goes there, and so she ducked out, and she got on the subway and went to the finish line, got out like a mile ahead of time, and ran it in. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, she didn't cross any of our points. Well, I don't know. Maybe it malfunctioned. She wouldn't give the medal back. She was like, I won. She died a couple years ago. But uh, but she always said that she won. But So now they have on the course, right, now they have not just those chip things where it goes, you got to cross the mat and those sort of stuff. They also got hidden video cameras. So every single person, man, if you've got a corner, they know. But I'll tell you what. I hate cheaters. But that's Christianity, right? Like, no. No, that can't be. No, 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 no. It's about running well and doing well and running hard and getting there and making it. And I say, no, 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 no. 
It's about Jesus comes and says, you all fall down. None of you are running. But here's the subway. I'm not taking the subway. That's cheating. I'm not getting on that thing. That's a cheat. I'm going to make it on my own strength. I'm going to make it on my training. I'm going to make it on my work. I'm going to make it on the stuff I do. And Jesus is the subway. Because we get on the subway and we go to the finish. I'll tell you what, that's offensive. Right? It's not approving your fitness, but winning for you. In a way that doesn't follow, that doesn't mean you did it, that you ran well, that you somehow, I mean, not in the way that we think. Running well is, is, is a thing, but it's a little bit different, right? I mean, the whole idea, we have a different story. We have the story of Jesus. We win, not in some imposition of our will on other people and how they're going to live, not in our imposition of our moral standards that, you know, we claim are God's, because we don't keep them either. Yeah, but I run better than you. Dude, that doesn't get you to the finish line. So not in our self-righteous efforts to show God how great we can become, but the truth is, right, the truth is weakness won. Humanity all fell down. The only one standing is the one we humiliated and killed and denied. And even though we deny him, he's the only hope we're ever going to have. And, and not his law keepings, not his, the holy hope we have. His death for us. God died. We all fall down, receive your Christ alone, and this is an ironic presentation, and I'm taking this, and I gave you this, hey, this is how I think about it, and I want you to see it in the story. Because God speaks in story, and this is the real, true story of what happened. And it's not, you know, when a writer writes a story, he puts together the things that are important. He doesn't just lay out 12 facts to know about Jesus dying on the cross. He lays it out for you so you see, and what you're supposed to see is what I just told you. We all fall down. Our hope is Jesus. It's amazing. So look with me, okay? We're going to look first at arresting God. From chapter 18, verse 1, here we go. John, amazing account of Jesus as he heads to the cross. The first part we get to look at now. You know it. Probably you know the story. Don't miss how John puts it together. Here we go. Verse 1. When Jesus has spoken these words, that's the high priestly prayer he went through the past two weeks. Check it out online. He went with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Okay, so this new curtain comes up, and a new scene, and this garden. He doesn't name the garden, but we know it, huh? It's Gethsemane. It's a garden where Jesus cried blood, tears of blood forming as he cried out to God to take this burden from him. And John doesn't present any of it. He doesn't care. Not enough to put it in this account. He's really focused on something else. It's not on the heavy burden of what Jesus is doing, but that he's entirely in control. Right? Control. It doesn't seem like it. He's away from the crowds. He's in this dark and quiet corner. Just him and the eleven. It's this perfect place for an ambush. That's what we start to think. 
You know, Judas knows this place. Yet Judas, the bad guy, the betrayer, says, uh-oh, but, but, but so, so wait, wait, wait. It's like a horror movie. Like, no, Jesus, get in the light. Go where there's well lit. Go to the cafe. Don't go to the dark garden alone with the eleven. Don't, no, no. Can you ambush God? So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Let's increase detail, right? There's a Roman presence. That's the soldiers. So they've already kind of gotten the case before Pilate, maybe, if they have those. There's officers. That's the temple police. So this is who's arrayed against Jesus and the eleven. The world. The Gentile world, that's the Romans. The religious Israel world, that's the officers from the Pharisees. And they're banding together to do what? Take out God. Lanterns and torches and weapons. Here comes the mob. And so this whole scene, Jesus quietly praying, betrayal and the mob coming. I'm like, okay, 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 deploy. Like, like, okay, there's the battle line right there. There's the guys, there's the line, there's the world out there, there's the good guys over here, Jesus and the eleven, and, and so, guys, they're coming. They're coming with torches and lanterns. They see them coming. It's not like, oh, they don't see them. Run! Right? That way, Jesus, escape, hold them off just for a few minutes. We'll head to Petra or something, I don't know. And, and so instead, it says, then Jesus... Knowing all that would happen to him. Can I underline again? Knowing all that would happen to him. How does John know that? Holy Spirit's talking, man. Came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? Huh. I think we need to change gears for this knowing all piece, right? This let, let's defend Jesus. We're, we're thinking like the world. We're actually, Maybe the lines are different. Maybe it's Jesus alone and everyone else on the other side of the line. He's entirely in control. He's on display. He asks the questions. He drives the action. Everything he, he, everything. He, he knows, knows all. And they don't even know him. Because they say to him, right? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. They say to Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Okay, wait a minute. We're looking for Jesus, they say. And he says, don't miss the translation. He says, I am. There's no he. Does I am sound like anything to you? Dude, it should. It's only like John has the seven I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection, the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am. I am. I am. And then just Yahweh, which means I am. So they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, God. Whoa. We know he is God. So here's God and the people against him, and he's standing there, and he says who he is, and, 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 and they, when Jesus said to them, I'm he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Okay, do you need another sign that Jesus is actually in control? He says, oh, I, I am. Like a power wave goes out of him, and they all fall on the ground like they're bumbling, stumbling on the ground. Ants, and there's Jesus standing. He's the, he's the one. This big mob come to take him, and he says, I'm God, and they fall down. They stumble on themselves, and so Jesus escapes again, and the disciples spring into action, and it's like Custer's last stand, or if you've seen 300, just, man, 11 against the world, because they've got God in their midst, and it's going to be awesome. Wait. No? So he asked them again, verse 7. This is really strange. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, they just asked him. So do, do you see the scene? Do you see it? So they all fell down. And you get Jesus kind of picking them up. Come on, you guys, come. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Who, who are you looking for again? We got to get this boat on the road or whatever. However you say that. He's driving it, right? He's not running away. He's not fighting them. He's not doing... He's like, okay, okay, you fell down. Oh, come back up here. Who are you looking for again? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he answered, I told you, I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. It was in his prayer just last chapter. So Jesus waits. He picks him back up. And who is it that you seek? And round two, and I'm him. And come on, take me away, Bumbledores. See, see, see this, right? See, he's not defended. He's defending. He's not losing one of those who he has. It means he's lost none of the 11. That's what it means, right? I'm not asking them to get in front. I'm not asking them to run ahead of me. I'm not asking them to defend me. I'm actually the one. I'm defending them. So, somewhere in this, take, as he says, take me and let him go kind of idea, Jesus kisses him. And again, John doesn't record it. He wants you not to focus on Judas, but on Jesus. God's on display he doesn't need defending. He protects his own. You say, well, Dax, yeah, but you know, Jesus has no hands on earth but yours. No, Jesus had plenty of hands. What you need to see, because that's bogus, he's got this. He's got it. Well, if you put yourself there, and maybe I hope you can in your head a little bit, and thinking about the scene, I think you would have been like these guys. Man, if I would have been there, it would have been like, hey, the wondrous sacrifice of the mighty 11. That sounds pretty good. But that's kind of the point. There's no mighty 11. There's only Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus versus the world. Jesus versus the pagan authorities. Jesus versus Israel. They're all the world. And then there's the 11. And and I think... They think they should be defending Jesus, right? Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, dagger, slice, super famous scene. 
I think, I think the really interesting thing to me, at least initially, if you think about it at all, is he had really poor aim. There's no way he was aiming for the ear. Oh, I think I'll defend Jesus and aim for the guy's ear. No, that's not happening, right? He just isn't very good at it. I'm sure he was aiming for the throat or the heart or something that would actually defend Jesus. Instead, he gets an ear, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 stop. Why? Because Peter's wrong. That that's what Jesus does, right? He rebukes him. I, I, I don't, man, if it was really you and you're really there, you're thinking, Peter, cool, you've got some spunk, some courage, some zeal. And Jesus is like, don't you understand? I will obey my father. I am. This is what we don't catch. This is what we don't understand. This is what we can't get our wrap around. Jesus is God. God is so much bigger and stronger and mightier and awesomer than you. And, and, and he's got us and he promises that he's got us. And, he's, and here I am and here I'm with Peter thinking, man, i got to defend this Jesus. It's so important. And, and Jesus is like, uh, who do you think you are? He's going to the cross. He's doing what only he can do. And, and he doesn't need defending. And the disciples get in the way. It's like, look, I, I, I got an ear. It's not a killing blow, but I did something. And here's the thing. You can do nothing. The difference is between you and God, not between you and the other people that you're going to be better with. What saves you? Not zeal, not courage, not faithfulness, not changing from the world, not understand. No, Jesus saves them by going to the cross and dying for them. For us, that's the story. So they're wrong. The disciples are wrong too. That's the irony, right? It's laid on so thick. You see, nobody has any power to do anything except for... We did this last week. I made you say the Sunday school word. But it's Jesus. (laughs) Jesus does. He's going for it. He's saving us. We all fall down at the cross. Okay, there's another couple more pieces. They're small pieces, but you should see them. First is striking God. As soon as you get that Jesus is saying, I am he, I am he, and what he's really saying is, I am Yahweh. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. I am. And you see, he's the king of heaven. Look what he allows This is so carefully crafted. Jesus is alone, and the narrative is in these contrasting pieces, and the true story builds of Jesus versus the world, and it's a bumbling effort that Jesus, the I am, controls. So this contrast with authority and with disciple and all these interactions swirling about this central, amazing character, and his name is Jesus, and he's our Savior. Such an amazing God we have. So, so, So look... The band of soldiers and their captain, the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. <laughs> Can you bound God? Can you bind him? Can you tie him up? Can you do that? Like, can you exercise authority over God? No. This is all irony, right? He's allowing all of this. And so there they go. They, they, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews who had expedient that one man should die for the people. Yeah, he'd had a prophecy. One man dying for many. 
But, but walk it through with me a little. So they take him not to a courtroom where they would normally have to take someone that they were going to try and kill. They took him to someone's house. House of the main bigwig. It was the guy who had been high priest, but he had been wrongfully taken away from being high priest. His name was Annas, but he was the power behind the priesthood. He had five sons that all served as high priest. He was the main decision. So they take him there because they knew that he, he had to get rid of Jesus. And I don't really care if we do it exactly the right way. We're in the right. Because we have a prophecy. What's the prophecy? One man will die for many. Okay, just chew on that for 20 seconds and come on. Is it true? Did Jesus die for many? Absolutely, yes, it's totally true. By one man's death, that's Jesus on the cross. We all get to live. It's so amazing and true. But not what they're thinking. They're thinking it totally wrong. Listen, we've got to kill him. It's just amazing. So here's God's unique son. He's bound and he's dragged into the courtyard and there's this prophecy and be expedient for that one man. And the irony is it's true, but it's it's not true like they're thinking it because they're not thinking right. Nobody's thinking right. Who's the only one that's thinking right? God himself, Jesus Christ. The disciples, of course, are covering themselves with glory. He said, oh, of course they are. Look at the, sh- the camera shifts on over. Here's Simon Peter. He's followed Jesus with another disciple. That's probably John who's writing this. Since the disciples known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So John knows some people. But Peter stood outside at the door. He didn't get to come in. So the other disciple who's known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Let's go get close to Jesus. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? Hey, you're not one of them, are you? And Peter said, not me. I am not. <laughs> I like that just because Jesus says, I am. And it's very clear that Peter is not. <laughs> He's not with Jesus. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, and so there they were, standing and warming themselves. Peter was with them, standing and warming himself. Okay, think about it. The soldiers and officers, who are they? They're the ones who bound Jesus and took him. So you have this scene where the guys who actually, the mob, who came and got Jesus, and now they're standing outside of the fire, and who's with them? Peter, with the mob. Just one of them. Do you see what's happening? It sounds like John also was denying he was a disciple, but Peter certainly does. He's outside standing around the very officers of the mob who had grabbed Jesus around an illegal fire, warming his hands, and he's with them. And so that's where he's chosen to be. And there are no standing people. They all fall down. And the focus of the camera isn't really even on Peter yet. Uh, You know, we wonder if he'll eventually get inside. But, But we zero in on the high priest, the powerful Annas, And the son of God, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. His disciples, that's how many disciples you have. And his teaching, what it is that you send. This is hard to understand, but but it sounds okay. So I I just want to know about uh, what you're doing. This is so out of line for a courtroom scene at the time. What do I mean? 
this is upside down from what it should be. You should start with witnesses for the defense. You, you get it? Not even supposed to question the defendant. This is the high priest of Israel. He's demanding an answer of who? God. Tell me, Jesus. You're under me. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So Jesus has no denials. He stands on the truth. He speaks openly. Ask me. He's not hidden. He's not shameful. He's not ashamed. He's not hiding. He's not like Peter. He's not like Peter. He's not like you. He's not like me. And this is what happens. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Okay, you just got Come on, King of Heaven, please, King of Heaven. Think of Jesus, King of Heaven. Think of Jesus overall who made everything. And some minor official comes up and cracks someone on the jaw. What would you do if you were God? Cinders. Cinders? Smoke where you used to be? I don't know, something. He'd be dead. How dare you strike God? I mean, you're supposed to be this way. You're supposed to see, here's Jesus over and over. There's no sizzle on the floor. Jesus just takes it. Why? Because he's just sitting there bearing witness to the truth. Totally in control. Headed to the cross. This is humanity's problem, right? It's the authority's problem. It's the priest's problem. It's the disciples' problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. We all fall down. Nobody tells the truth. I know you're going to say, but I do, Dax. I tell the truth. No, you don't tell the truth all the time. You hide stuff away. You don't tell the whole truth. You don't just openly live like that. You hide stuff away under your carpet. You, you manipulate with your words. James says the tongue is a, is, a, is a rudder full of fire. And he doesn't give an exception for Christians. There is no exception. Ah. Oh. I'll do better. I promise God I'll do better. That's not the point. You fail. Only Jesus. Him alone. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our only hope. Not in us, but in what He might do if He condescends totally on His mercy and He's sitting there taking it as some nobody hits Him for just saying, I'm telling the truth. This is God on display. Every hope you've ever had is only on what He's going to do for you. Will He... You don't deserve it. Even the best don't deserve it. So exit question, will he abandon you? What if you really deserve to be abandoned? Annas, it says here, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he's arrested and bound. He's been illegally tried. He's been humiliated and beaten. And his own disciples are just standing around, kind of cowed by the world. And it gets worse. I mean, if some great power took Jesus, there's nothing we can do. But we would never actually abandon the truth, would we? Not us. We're one of his disciples. Well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. So just this short ending and we'll be done. Denying God. 
Because it says in verse 25, as the focus now shifts back to Peter, and you should realize John's done this on purpose. He didn't say, oh, let me talk about this and let me talk about Peter. We started with Peter, and then we swung to this, Jesus is truthful, and then we swing back to, I wonder if Peter will come around. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and so they said to him, these officers and soldiers, they said, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. And he said, I'm not. So one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Wait a minute, I saw you. You cut off my brother's ear. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. So again, John's there, but there's no focus on Peter's swearing or Peter's tears. There's another, no sympathy for Peter here. Just a stark contrast to what? Jesus standing up to his questioners and denying nothing. And Peter, before his questioners, denying everything. I am not his. Yeah, if it's up to you, right? If it's up to us, we really aren't. If it's up to whether we can finish the marathon, if it's up to whether we're going to run okay, if it's up to whether we're going to actually do it right, we're not, we're not, we're not his. This is the negative part. This is the, 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 the tremendous, important part of Peter's story. The highlight part where the very closest and the best, because that's Peter, the chief of the disciples, the one who confesses Christ, he doesn't tell the truth when it matters. This is perhaps the most important piece. John wraps it around the horrible actions of the rest of humanity to connect them all, to weave them all together, to put us all falling down. I think Peter's the worst. That's what I think. It's one thing to always be against God and to not think it's God, but it's another thing to see God himself treated poorly by people and not speak up. He's your friend. Right? I mean, you've seen it. You, you've seen his miracles. You've been with him. You've seen him transfigured and turned into light and talked to Moses and Elijah. You, you, you've, you've confessed him. You've seen him heal lepers and open the eyes of the blind. And you've seen all these things. And you can't even say, oh, yeah, you guys don't understand. He's God. And so when it comes to really stand for Jesus, when the world presses in, there's the lie. Don't take it this way. Don't take it. I could do better. That would never happen to me. I would never be that person. Because the reality is, we are that person. Jesus says there's only one hope for you. What is it? It's the cross. It's the cross. We've made an appearance now. It's so easy to laugh at the world and to cross them off and to spit on those who spit on Jesus. And then we don't have his back. This is who God is, surrendering to the mob, letting scum strike him, totally abandoned by all with no help. He did this on purpose. Jesus, because God gives gifts, Jesus could have inserted in Peter's heart courage he could have, to be a good example to you, to never turn from God. He could, he could have given Peter, the Spirit could have given Peter strength 
to stand. He doesn't. Why? Because that's not the message. The message is Christ alone. You think you're too bad to be saved? You think he doesn't love you because your personal situation is tough? You think he works through the strong and the mighty and the powerful? Think again. He's God. He's totally surprising and totally different. God didn't come with principles by which you would run better. God came with a story. He came with a story of how he loves you and dies for you. Who is this king of glory? He's the one who saves. And when we say Jesus alone, we mean alone. He just went and did it. And he did it in such a way that it cannot be more clear that you do nothing. You say, well, I believe. (laughs) Yes, you do. Because of something that has actually happened. Because it's true. But the truth is, even that trust is a gift, right? That's what Ephesians 2 says. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. This is amazing. Don't let the world steal this away. There's no boasting of anything except he loves me. And and, and don't let the world put up the mirror and ask how you're doing because the answer is always not good enough. It's, It's instead, look at the cross where the perfect picture of God remains and he loves you and he did it all for you and we embrace this story. The people, they think they have God wrapped up. They think they can slap his face with impunity. They think they can kill him. They think that their mediocre and uninspired efforts will impress him. And instead, it's all him using all of that to go to the cross for us. So today, hey, this story that you're so familiar with, my prayer is that you would stop your self-righteous running and comparing and your measuring and step on the subway said, but it's cheating tax. No, it's the only way there is. It's the only way there is. And on that subway, the one who is the power, who is the authority, who is God himself, takes you because he's paid for you and died for you. He takes you to the finish line. We know the truth, you and I. What is it? Weakness one. He did it all. He adores us. We're his forever. Yeah, that's a reason to rejoice. Let's pray.